My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, and that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with a profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, as St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. In this Sunday's Gospel, the Holy Spirit puts before us the figure of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is proclaiming the presence of Christ and also the mission of Christ. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one of whom I said, A man is coming after me who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. John the Baptist, there in a kind of hidden way, in a mysterious way, is proclaiming Jesus' identity and Jesus' role. He says, he ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Now we know that John the Baptist was about six months older than Jesus. He was born in June, and Jesus was born in December, at least according to our liturgical calculations. But also the Bible clearly says that when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth was already six months pregnant, and then she stayed with her until uh, John the Baptist was born. And so John the Baptist clearly here <clears throat> is referring to Jesus's divinity. He existed before me, which means that he's not just human, he's God. I'm older than him in terms of human age, but he is eternal. He is God. And he also refers to Jesus's mission. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a great reminder for us at the beginning of this year, at the beginning of this new year. Lord Jesus, that you are God, and this is what you've come to do, to heal the world of sin and to heal me of my sins. This is what you've come for, Lord, and so therefore this is what I should come to you for. So many times in life, perhaps, we go to God for our needs and concerns, and perhaps at times we forget to go to him for what's most essential, for what he's come precisely to help us with. We go to him for success at work, or we go to him for some family or personal problem to be cleared up. We go to him for health, we go to him for stability or happiness. And at the same time, all is good, it's good to go to him for all those things, all of our needs. But we forget to go to him for the thing that he's come to bring us, for the thing that's most essential, which is that he heal us, that he heal our souls, that he forgive our sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It'd be kind of like, I don't know, going to some Irish pub where they have great meatloaf or great shepherd's pie or great pub burgers and you go to some Irish pub and you order uh, linguine with white sauce and clams. It's like, well, this is not an Italian restaurant, right? You don't go to the Irish pub and order uh, the linguine. Uh, maybe you do. I mean, these places are pretty diverse these days, so you got to find out what the special is. And that's what you do. You go and you ask the, uh, the wait staff, uh, what's good here, right? What's the special? 
And sometimes they say, oh, what's really important here is that you get this, right? This is the dish that, that we're famous for. And you go with that, or you go with the specialty. Well, when going to our Lord, let's not just go to him for the appetizers, and let's not just go to him for the side dishes, right? Let's go to him for the main course, the special. And what's the special? The special is holiness, right? Our Lord has come to free us from sin and to replace that sinfulness with love, with holiness. And this is a time of year when we make resolutions. Perhaps we made some already. Perhaps we've broken some already. Those New Year resolutions. Some people I know are also into Exodus 90 right now. Exodus 90 is a kind of supplement to Lent. And so it starts 90 days before Easter as opposed to the normal Lenten 40 days before Easter. And it's a pretty rigorous program. You know, people take cold showers and they fast a couple times a week and they commit themselves to a certain amount of prayer. And so it's a time where people are making these resolutions, either for Exodus 90 or just New Year's resolutions. And I think that all that's fine, but we should have a kind of meta resolution behind any resolutions we're making to improve. We should kind of have a, a hidden resolution which underlies and motivates all of those specific resolutions that we have which is to be a saint right? which is to be holy which is to fight against our sinfulness to let god cure us of our sinfulness with a good confession with good acts of contrition right recognizing and reckoning with our sins and our sinfulness and then replacing that, right? replacing our selfishness and replacing our sinfulness with love, with holiness. So the resolution behind all of our resolutions should always be one that's very special and kind of dominant. We should always have a resolution to be a saint. And this is God's will for us. St. Paul says it clearly. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. And resolutions are interesting things, right? When we resolve to do something, we're kind of formalizing a desire. We're committing ourselves to a course of action. We're setting our will to a definite goal or definite course of action. And this happens. It's like, you know, acts of Congress. This is how they work. It's like, you know, whereas the interstate highway is becoming dilapidated and whereas this interstate highway system is important for commerce and the free movement of our citizens. And whereas we have a surplus of X billion dollars because of Powerball or whatever, <laughs> whatever the income stream is, therefore be it resolved, right? Be it resolved that that money from that income, from that source, from Powerball or taxes or whatever, be it resolved that this much of that money is going to renew our interstate highway system. And that's a resolution, right? It's a kind of focusing and determination and articulation of a will, of a will to do something, a will to improve in some area. It's an articulation and a commitment to a plan. And that's very powerful when we think about holiness. This is the will of God for us. Your holiness. God has resolved upon our holiness. And so God in heaven from all eternity is saying something like this, right? whereas I am holy and I am love itself, 
And whereas I created you, each one of us, I created you personally in my image and likeness with a heart and a mind and a will that can love and be loved. And whereas even though we fell into sin, I redeemed you in Jesus Christ and I offer you grace and mercy of confession, baptism and the other sacraments to overcome your sinfulness. And whereas I have taught you through the law what's important, how to love and how to forgive and how to live like my son. And whereas I've called you into this life like to be like him and to be divinized, therefore be it resolved, right? Therefore be it resolved that you be a saint, that we be saints, right? This is God's will for us, God's resolution for us, God's new year resolution for us, God's new life resolution for us is holiness, is sanctity. And you might say, okay, fine, we know that. Um, but where do we start? What does holiness look like? Where should I start? And the church helps us. The church summarizes holiness in a very simple phrase. Holiness is the fullness of charity. Holiness is the fullness of charity. You want to grow in holiness? You want to grow in the meaning of your life? Why God created you? Well, grow in charity. Right? Learn how to love God and others more. And this is charity. Charity is to love God above all things for his own sake and to love our neighbor, to love others for the sake of God. And Jesus says it, right? He's asked by that by that lawyer in the gospel, this is from the gospel of Matthew, that million dollar question. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Great question. The law of Moses, the Torah, is this great divine and natural law which teaches the Israelites and teaches all of humanity, teaches us still today, how to live close to God, how to belong to God, how to be God's people. And there were many hundreds of laws in that old law in the Torah. And so the question is, you know, simplify this for us, Lord, right? Out of all these laws, which is the most important? What should I really focus on? And Jesus answers with the Shema from the book of Leviticus. And he answered him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The great and first commandment, the most important thing we should do. The will of God for us. The new life resolution that God has for us that we should make our own is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And we can add also, as one passage does, with all of our strength. And a second is like it. Jesus goes on. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And both of these are radical. Lord, help me to embrace once again the radicality and therefore, in a certain sense, the freedom of Christian life. Christian life is not about control or security or taking our security into our own hands to make ourselves feel safe and secure because I check these boxes, because I have these practices, because I'm like this and not like this other person, and therefore I'm okay. Therefore, I'm, I'm 
good with God and I'm good with myself. No, Christian life is radical. We can always love God more. The only measure for the love of God, San Jose Maria says, is to love without measure. The only measure for the love of God is to love without measure. God can always ask more from us. God will always ask more for us. And the key to Christian life is just to say yes, right? Whatever God wants, I'll give him anything. I'll do anything he wants. I'll make him the most important thing. I can always love him more. I always want to love him more. He deserves to be loved more. And this is what I'm made for. And if I do this, everything else will be fine. It won't be easy, right? St. Josemir calls it the risky security of the Christian, right? The risky security of the Christian. It's a security because we're doing what's right and God's going to take care of us. But it's risky because we don't know how that's going to play out. And it plays out in some sort of strange and crazy and wild and scary ways at times. But we want to be up for it. The only measure for the love of God is to love without measure. Lord, how many be up for that? That radical freedom and radical gift of the Christian life. To love you like nuts. And nuts means nuts, right? Letting go of my own control, letting go of my own judgment, letting go at times of my own deepest desires and plans because I want what God wants and because I want to love him. How little a life is to give to God, St. Josemaria puts it in another passage. How little a life is to give to God. God is worth loving with all that we have and with the, everything we have and are. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Right? God is worth loving this way and God needs to be loved this way and we need to love him this way. And what does that look like? Okay, that's one thing is just to say, okay, a love of God above all things, but how do we do that? Well, there's different ways. Uh, one big way is prayer. Right? We can't love what we don't know. We can't truly love what we don't have an experience of. And we experience God through faith. Right? Faith replaces knowledge of God because we can't know God directly through our senses as we know other things or through our mind's reflection on things we experience directly. And so faith is called the proof or the evidence and therefore the experience, right? the proof of things unseen. And so this is a way of knowing that is a little bit hard. St. John of the Cross calls it the dark knowledge of faith. Right? It's knowledge, but it's a dark knowledge because it's to believe in something that we can't directly experience or can't directly see. And so the experience of God happens in faith, and faith is practiced and actualized through prayer, and specifically through silence, right? Through a prayerful silence in which we're just trying to let God be God. And since God is beyond all of our thoughts and beyond all of our words and beyond all of our imagining, right? Faith is practiced in a special way in silent prayer. Right? When we're quiet and we don't say anything and we try not to think about anything created or anything specific, it's kind of like we're giving God a chance to talk. Right? Lord, I will be silent so that you can talk. I will be quietly present so that you can make your presence felt if you want to. Right? Our silence lets God speak. St. John of the Cross also says that, that God's favorite language is the language of silent 
love. And the Psalms tell us, be still and know that I am God. So we know God through faith, but it's a dark knowledge. It's not uh, the knowledge that we're used to. And so it takes some work, some practice. And that work and that practice is prayer, and specifically contemplative prayer, right? Quiet time with God, letting God be, letting God talk, letting him emerge right from the background. He's kind of, in our usual experience, God, we know he's everywhere, but he's kind of hidden. He's, he's there in the background. And when we close our eyes and we close down our imagination and we try to just to be present for God, be attentive to God, we let him emerge from the background. And he will, he does, if we persevere in that kind of prayer, persevere in a yearning to know God more so that we can love him in the way that he wants to be loved, in the way that he needs to be loved. Well, he'll make himself known, right? And through faith and through prayer, he'll make himself known so that we can love him because he wants us to love him. The flip side is of this is, you know, uh, how do we love God above all things, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength? Well, one is this prayer and this faith that we practice in prayer. And another is just doing the will of God, right? Doing the will of God in everything. Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, which means if you love me, you will do my will. This is Jesus's own expression of his love for God. He says, I always do what pleases him. Or whatever Jesus is doing, he's doing what he thinks God the Father wants, right? What he knows pleases God the Father. And so this is something that obviously doesn't just apply to our prayer life, right? That we can't just like think, oh, since I pray, since I have quiet time, since I go to adoration, I love God. No, we only love God if we're really trying to do God's will always and in everything, and am I always trying to do God's will? Am I trying to love God through everything I do and through the way that I do it? And that morning offering is very beautiful. This is a formula for holiness. We offer our Lord our prayers, works, joys, and sorrows. Right? The prayers, works, joys, and sorrows of this day we offer to you. And what does that mean? What well, means everything, everything I do, everything that happens to me, everything I think, Everything I feel, I offer to God out of love. I take my existence and my existence, which is my experience of life, and my experience of myself, and my experience of others, my experience of the world, my agency, right? my freedom, my thoughts, and I offer it back to God out of love for him. He created me out of love, and so I want to exist out of love for him. Love is repaid with love. We offer you our prayers, works, joys, and sorrows of this day, everything that happens to us. St. Peter Chrysologus has a beautiful line. He says, our heart is an altar. Our heart is an altar. And the heart, in the language of the Bible, the Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about it this way too. The heart is the core of the person. Right? The heart is where our mind and our will, the spiritual elements kind of fuse or meet our emotions and our feelings, right? Those more human and physical, spiritual slash physical side of us. It's the core of our person, right? It's where we kind of come together and are fully ourselves. That's our heart. And St. Peter says, 
your heart is an altar. And so our very, the core of our person, where we experience things and where we think things, and where we fear things, and where we hope things, and where we have joys, and where we have sorrows, and where we make plans, and where we push ourselves, and where we make an effort to do everything we have to do in our life. That core of our person, that you, that is most you, is an altar. It's a place to love God. It's a place to offer whatever you are, whatever you're doing, and whatever is happening to you is happening to you to God. If you love me, you will keep my commandment. And this is my commandment, right? That you love one another and also that you love the Lord your God with everything, right? This is the whole idea with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And so everything that I am should be offered to God out of love. And everything I have and everything I do should be offered to God out of love. And that looks like a normal life, right? It's not, uh, it doesn't mean we have to be in church all the time. It doesn't mean we have to leave the world and be religious. A little thing done for love is worth so much. St. Josemaria, the famous line, a little thing done for love is worth so much. And so for most of us, the will of God looks like everyone else's life, but we do it as well as possible because we're doing it out of love for God. We're trying to make it an offering to God on the altar of our heart. And so this is super important, right? This is called the duties of your state in life. God's will for us is expressed most often by the duties of our state in life. Am I married now? Well, God's will for you is to live your marriage well and to improve your marriage and to be a better spouse. Do you have children? Well, God's will for you is to try to be a better parent, a better mother or father. Um, Are you committed to some vocation in celibacy, the priesthood or otherwise? Well, God's will for you is to be faithful to that vocation. Do you have a job? Are you under obligation of a contract and you have an employee and people, clients who are depending on you or people beneath you? Well, God's will for you is to help those subordinates and to be a good employee to your employer and to be and to be a good representative uh, for your clients or a lawyer for your clients or a doctor uh, for your patients or a teacher for your students, whatever your field is, right? Or mechanic for the people who come to you with their car. Right? To be good at the life that God has given you with all the obligations, professional, social obligations of friendship communal obligations of being a citizen and a member of a society or nation or community, obligations of being a parish member, obligations of belonging to certain groups in the church, right? All those duties, the duties of our state in life are God's will for us. And we love him and we love him with a great generosity by taking those seriously and by pouring ourselves into them and by living our responsibilities with a great generosity and a, and a cheerfulness and and a joy christian life is a beautiful gift of self it's not just doing the bare minimum so that we can feel good about ourselves it's giving ourselves to god by living our life with a certain vibrancy and a certain radicality lord give us this love this love that expresses itself in the depth and intensity of our prayer 
in our commitment to our prayer life, even when it's difficult. And give us this love, Lord, which expresses itself in our desire to always love you, to always be loving you, to always tell you that we love you, and to always show you that we love you with our works. Here's a beautiful prayer, an act of love of God, composed by the cure of ours, St. John Marie Vianney. And we can use it to close our time of prayer this morning. I love you, O my God, and my only desire is to love you until my last breath. I love you, O infinitely lovable God, and I prefer to die loving you rather than to live for a single moment without loving you. I love you, my God, and I long for heaven, only to know the bliss of loving you perfectly. I love you, O my God, and I only fear going to hell, because there I will never experience the sweet consolation of loving you. O my God, if my tongue is not able to say at every opportunity that I love you, at least I want my heart to repeat it to you as many times as I take a breath. May God give me the grace of suffering out of love for you, of loving you while I suffer. Give me the grace of one day breathing my last breath out of love for you, and at the same time feeling how much I love you. The closer I come to my final end, the more I beseech you to intensify and perfect my love for you. Amen. O oh my God, if my tongue is not able to say at every opportunity that I love you, at least I want my heart to repeat it to you as many times as I take a breath. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. But with everything we do, we want to be loving God. And a shortcut to this is making a good morning offering, right? If we offer everything to God at the beginning of the, of the day, well, it's all offered to him, right? We tell him that it's for love of him. And that offering counts unless we voluntarily kind of renege on it, <laughs> unless we voluntarily kind of go back against that offering by some mortal sin or um, some explicit act of selfishness, right? If we offer it once, it's all offered, right? That offering, that virtual intention, as St. Thomas Aquinas calls it, that virtual intention of our morning offering carries through the day and it makes the whole day, everything that we've offered already, it makes it all an act of love of God. It's just a great practice, right? When we get up in the morning to make that morning offering in our own words or using some formula to offer to God all of the prayers and works and joys and sorrows, everything that we go through to offer it to him out of love for him. And then we look, Lord, you've come to take away the sins of the world. You've come, Lord, to take away my sins. And if my meta resolution is always to be a saint, which means to have the fullness of charity, well, the flip side of that always has to be looking at and rejecting sin, right? Looking at any habitual venial sins that I have, any mortal sins that I might be tempted to fall into from time to time. And if I'm going to love God, the first thing is I have to stop offending him. Or I have to be resolved to stop offending him. And this might take a while. And sometimes God lets us struggle in something for a while that we don't like to struggle in, that we wish we didn't have to struggle in. Um, that's embarrassing. 
And that's important because that's precisely the point, right? God will let us God will let us struggle in something that we would rather not struggle in in order to make us humble because he knows how important it is to be humble. He knows that pride is the worst of the vices. Pride is a worse sin than gluttony. It's a worse sin than lust. It's a worse sin than laziness. And so at times God will let us keep struggling in things like lust or gluttony or laziness, even though we would rather not, so that he can get out our pride, right? So that finally we can say, Lord, I really need your help with this, right? I can't do this without you. It's not just something I do. It's something that's like a part of me that I need to, it needs to be uh, excised, right? You need to pull this out of me. I need to be delivered of this sinful spirit that I have. And that's good. So sometimes our struggle against sin will be kind of clear. Okay, I can stop doing this and boom, I make a strong resolution to stop. And we always have to do that. But it might be hard to actually um, succeed, right? Or totally conquer some sinful tendency. And that's where we have to be humble and patient. Right? St. Josemaria says about purity, he says, God grants holy purity when it's asked for with humility. And I think that goes for purity, but it might, it might, for some of us, it goes for other sins that we struggle with, right? A lack of charity towards a certain person, a lack of patience, a lack of trust in God. Right? These are things that we have to struggle with for a while. And part of that, part of the reason why God lets us struggle in them for a while, part of the reason he doesn't give us a kind of quicker growth in those things is humility, is so that we can really know that we need him really, really feel the, the weight of our sinfulness by having to struggle with something for a long time and then therefore have to go to, have to go to him with humility to ask for it. God grants purity and other virtues when we ask for them with humility. So our resolution against sin is, is strong. We say, no, never again. I don't want to ever fall in the, into the sin or to this mortal sin. Uh, but at the same time, we're humble, right? And we start over as much as we need to, and we ask for grace again and again and again, as much as we need to, until we make the progress that God eventually will help us to make, and God wants us to make. We go to Our Lady, Our Lady Queen of all saints. Help us to make this New Year resolution and this new life resolution to be a saint, right? To not compromise with sin, to not compromise with mediocrity, to try to love God in the way that he needs to be loved, right? Without measure, with everything we have, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. Our Lady, our Mother, Queen of all saints, Mother of fair love, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.